Welcome to Prayer Huddle, a community that seeks to host God, influence lives, and revive hearts. The message you're about to listen to is a word in season to make your spirit soar like that of the eagle. Thank you for listening and stay blessed. On the first Sunday of every month, we take the time out to um, make declarations, to prophesy, and to speak over different aspects and parts of our lives. And um, we'll be doing that tonight as well. But while I, when I knew I was going to be sharing specifically on this Sunday before we make these proclamations, I began to pray about the direction that God will have us go just before we get ready to make some of those decrees. And I felt it impressed to bring to remember some of the things that we may know concerning, you know, um, proclamations. So some of the things that we may have heard, some of the things that we may have learned, some of the things that we may have been exposed to historically to bring, you know, those remembrance to refresh us of some of those truths, the things that essentially enable us to be maximally effective when you and I decide that we are going to make any sort of declarations, any sort of pronouncements, any sort of um, statements concerning our future, our lives, our family, or anything that concerns us. And so we will briefly um, go through some of those things before we go through our um, proclamations for this Sunday. So one thing or a truth that most of us have been exposed to, especially as it pertains to the words that we speak, is that the Bible is not ambiguous when it comes to the impact that our words have. The Bible is clear. The Bible is explicit. The Bible is very, um, very, very specific in remembering or in telling us that our words are powerful. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus himself the context was that he was speaking to his disciples and he was and they were confused about a few things. He was talking about his words and he spoke about how words are living things. In John chapter 6, from verse 60, from verse 60, verse 63 is really the point of emphasis. But in John chapter 6, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said something to them. From verse 60, he said, um, from verse 60. All right, I'm there. Jesus said, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? And then the next statement is where I want us to focus on where Jesus looks and then he says that it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Very interesting that when God chooses to describe the words that he was going to say or the words that he used to the disciples, that he called them life. He didn't say his words were like life. He didn't say his words were symbolic of life. He didn't say his words could somehow transform to life. He said that those very words are the life. So Jesus, first of all, was one of the people in scriptures that we see directly say that words themselves are living things. You know, Jesus worked with a certain level of consciousness, a certain level of awareness that when he spoke, he wasn't just making empty statements, that when he spoke that there was life that was released at the same time, you know, the words that he said left his mouth. The Bible let us understand later on in different, different parts of the Bible that words themselves can make alive, words can kill. So not only are words alive for themselves, words can also make things alive in the same way that words can kill. In 
Proverbs chapter 18 from verse 12, the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and that those who love it will eat its fruit. So that with this idea of making words, with this idea of making proclamations, that we also have the ability to either proclaim death or we have the ability to proclaim life. So the words are life and we can proclaim both death and life. And it makes sense then when you look at those things that the Bible then in James urges us to be very cautious with the words that we make. In James chapter um james chapter three let's look at it very quickly james issues a warning about the ways that we use um the words that we speak in james chapter three from verse two to verse five james says, for we all stumble in many things if anyone does not stumble in word he is a perfect man he is able to breed of his whole body indeed we put bits in horses mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body Look also at ships, although they are very large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a small rudder where the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. And so James says that this part of the body that seems very small is able to do a lot of things, is able to shape the course of history. The Bible says here that it is just like a rudder that is able to change the direction of ships. So the Bible is clear. The Bible makes it very, very obvious. Yet, there's a certain dilemma that we face where sometimes as believers, we know this reality, we try and walk in this truth, yet we may not necessarily always see results when we speak. And it's an interesting paradox because whenever we try and follow any sort of spiritual discipline or follow any instruction of the Bible, whenever we don't see results that are commensurate to what the Bible promises, we should investigate that, right? So if the Bible says, if you do X, you will see Y, and if for whatever reason in our lives, we do not really see the result that the Bible promises, we should really stop and look through the scriptures to try and better understand the reason why we may not be seeing that um, promise, why that promise may not be manifested in our lives. And so tonight, very quickly, I want us to quickly go over some of the reasons um, we may not, or some of the reasons we may not see results when we speak. Or another way to sort of think about this tonight is that we should look at um, some of the different factors that affects the potency of our declarations. So what are the different things that contributes to the level of power that is released when you and I make declarations so that when we get into that portion of tonight's um, meeting that we'll be able to really participate in that section. There's a few things, but the first one that we would go through is that our level of intimacy with God. Intimacy is one of those revelations in the Bible that is very and comparison of different aspects of the Christian experience. There are tons of benefits that you know intimacy sort of confers on us. Powerful words just happen to be one of them. I remember sometime, I think last year or a year before that, we had an entire series where we're delving deep on like koinonia, so fellowship specifically, talking about what does a close alignment, a close work with God, what does that mean and how does that translate to our Christian experience? So we spoke about that for a long time. And one of those things that one of those things that we spoke about is that the level of intimacy with God will affect the ability or our ability to effect change when we declare things. So let's look at John chapter 15 for from John chapter 15 from verse 7. There are quite a lot of Bible verses that we will go through today. And I think the reason why is so that we would have a solid understanding of um, what the Bible says concerning what we are about to do. There is a lot of biblical precedence. It is very written in the Bible. So John chapter 15 from, Zeth, from verse 7, Jesus again talking to his disciples, he says, if you abide in me 
and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done with you and it shall be done for you. So this idea that like you can get things done is preceded upon the fact that you must first abide in God and that his words should abide in you. So the power then in our declarations is determined by not just our intention, not just our wants, not just the necessary results that we see, but also just the abundance of life in our spirit, which grows as a function of intimacy. So as you and I begin to grow with God, as we begin to spend more time with God, as we begin to do what Jesus said, specifically abiding in him and letting his words abide in us, then we are able to come to that position where our words carry more and more weight. And it's interesting then that Jesus, who says this, was also the same person that said his, his, words, are, um, his words are full of spirit, uh, full of life. So Jesus suddenly understood that because God himself is full of life, it follows that the words of God too will be full of life. And so really, um, one of the things that you and I can do if we're going to posture ourselves in a position of getting ready to speak things, seeing them come into existence, being ready to get to the position where we say things and change results, you know, if we see things in our life that do not really align with that which God says, we and I have a responsibility to take care of things like that. And one of the ways that we position ourselves to better walk in that level of authority, walk in that level of reality, is by growing in a deeper level of intimacy with God. Intimacy is powerful. Intimacy is one of those things where you and I will probably never graduate from on this side of eternity, at least. We will always forever perpetually continue to be on this cycle where we will grow. We must continually seek to make sure that nothing interrupts our desire, nothing interrupts our intention, nothing interrupts our ability to grow in intimacy with God. It is a cornerstone of the Christian experience. So that's one. Intimacy is one. But the second major thing you and I must be conscious of is that to proclaim things, to make statements and see those things come to actuality, they are largely contingent upon the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we've spoken about intimacy with God, but the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is another real major cornerstone that could affect how we make some of the proclamations that we do and subsequent results. Proclamations, like any other spiritual discipline, so whether it's prayer, fasting, worship, um, reading the Bible, um, continuing in good works, any of the things that you consider to be good Christian disciplines, most of those things operate within guidance. So those principles are never really just things that we exercise at random or things that we do without a clear understanding. Those things typically would follow a very specific protocol. And it is in that following of specific protocol that we then need the Holy Spirit to help us. You know, the Holy Spirit is is, is a member of the Godhead. We can't really do anything that's pleasing to God. We can't really do anything that is um, going to be of any sort of importance if we do not do things without his help. It is the very reason that why that when Jesus is going to ascend, he realized that you and I will not be able to get more things done if we don't have his help. So he sent us the Holy Spirit who would do many things for us. One of the things that the Holy Spirit will do is that he will get involved in the operations of our prophesying. He will get involved when you and I decide to make confessions. He will get involved when you and I decide to make declarations. He gets involved at many stages and we'll cover that in a short second. Um, a scripture that I think is super helpful to go through is, Ezek is the book of Ezekiel. So 
Um, Ezekiel is in the Old Testament is one of those books that people tend to shy away from because it's what you consider a prophetic book and so unlike much of the Bible Ezekiel isn't very clear in language you know it's filled with a lot of imagery a lot of visions Ezekiel talks about things that were to come it's just Ezekiel was just not very very straightforward but Ezekiel was also just unique among the different Old Testament books because of the level of accuracy in the prophecies in that book of the Bible so it's a very, very special book, not only because of the chapter that we are going to read, but also just as a broader theme of trying to understand how the different books of the Bible fit together. Um, there are many different chapters we can look at, but I think we should look at what is considered essentially a seminal capstone or like a seminal portion of the book of Ezekiel. So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 37. It's very popular. It's likely that you've heard um, you've seen or you've come across this chapter of the Bible before. There are worship songs about it. It's, it's, it's absolutely popular. But even in reviewing this particular part of the Bible that I've been aware of for some time, in reviewing it in preparation for tonight, I saw some things that, to be honest, I had never really considered or paid much attention to. So it's a bit of a long read. And um, I think we should go through it just because it's important that we're all on the same page. Um, the point of emphasis is really the first portion of this chapter, but we would, would read up until at least verse 11. Ezekiel 37 from verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then it caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? The first three verses that we just read is where we'll come back to, but let's continue. So I answered and said, oh, Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall leave. I'll put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall leave. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So sinews are essentially just tendons, ligaments. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly there was a rattling, and these bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to that breath, thus says the Lord of God, come from the four winds of breath and breathe on this slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came to them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Very, 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 um, it's, it's a bit of an interesting, it's a bit of an interesting part of the Bible, partially just because you don't see these sort of overt um, encounters where people say things and they see such dramatic change happen in short periods of time. So this, so, so this chapter is very popular for very good reason. But there were many things that happened first. First of all, is that you see that Ezekiel prophesied multiple times. And before we even go on, I think that it's important to also just clarify that when we say prophesy, what some people tend to understand or what we sometimes tend to think is that to prophesy is to foretell of a future event. That is one aspect of prophesying. But prophesying here, as Ezekiel did, 
is not just foretelling the future things, but also declaring things into existence. But it's also not just enough that you declare things to existence, really. Prophecy is just 50% of that. The other aspect of prophesying is that you do so under divine inspiration. And so you see that in the entire chapter, as Ezekiel was prophesying, he was doing so step in step with God. He wasn't prophesying at random. He wasn't prophesying of his own will. He wasn't prophesying of his own volition, but he was doing so in very tight partnership with the Holy Spirit. So prophesying, making divine pronouncements, making divine proclamations under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look specifically at three things the Holy Spirit did in this chapter. I will tell you what those three things are and would look specifically at the verses that um, delve more deeply into those things. Number one is that the Holy Spirit um, in this particular chapter, what he did was that when he brought Ezekiel to the point where Ezekiel was going to prophesy and command dry bones to leave, the Holy Ghost did three things here. Number one is that the Holy Ghost revealed the situation, really the situation that Ezekiel was going to prophesy to. Number two is that he revealed or he gave Ezekiel a reality, a revelation. And number three was that he revealed the word of God to Ezekiel. So in general, when you're going to come to a point where you want to prophesy and speak over your life, speak over different things, everything you do must really originate with God and then you follow through on those things. But let's look at these three things. The first thing that the spirit of God did is that in verse two, it says, then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. The first thing that God did was that he opened Ezekiel up to take stock of what Ezekiel was facing. The first thing that happened here was that he revealed the terrain, he revealed the situation, who revealed the dryness to which he wanted Ezekiel to prophesy. You know, one of the more interesting things or one of the... Um one of the interesting tensions we live in, especially as it pertains to faith, is that sometimes because the situation we can face can be so overwhelming, there's a tendency to want to just glaze over those things and get into the process of prophesying. But for whatever reason, the first thing that God did was that he caused him to pass by all around. And without exception, Ezekiel came and then said that indeed they were very dry. There was no misunderstanding into that which Ezekiel was up against. There was no misunderstanding into the state of things. He took a veil of the land to have a very conscious understanding of what he was facing. You know, it is very possible that in our pursuit of the things of God, in our pursuit of the disciplines that the Bible lays out for us, it is very possible for you and I to really misfire. We can make certain mistakes. You know, James talks about this. I'm reminded of James. Um, which talks about this, but within the context of prayer. So for example, it says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. So it is possible to pray and pray amiss because you're praying for the wrong things. That doesn't chapter continues and says, because you ask that you may spend on your pleasures. But it's also possible to misfire because we either misunderstand what we're facing with or that we just don't really understand what it is that we're supposed to do. So the power then of our prophesying, before we even prophesy, the power that is going to be released is somewhat dependent on the understanding we have or what we are up against. Remember the Bible tells us that we must not be ignorant of the, of the vices of the enemy. That's one of the reasons why the Bible admonishes us not to be ignorant, because the degree to which we can confront anything is largely going to be contingent upon our understanding of that which we are going to face. So when God brings Ezekiel, Ezekiel operating in the spirit, he wasn't in the flesh. The Bible says that in verse 1, that he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Ezekiel was in the spirit, yet the first thing 
was Ezekiel, observe that which you are going to prophesy over. So tonight, we're going to make some prophecies, but I want you to, even from this point, begin to think about those specific things that are proven to be obstacles in your life, those bones that you want to live again. Just think on those things and think specifically, not just thinking about those things, you know, to let them overwhelm you or any sort of things like that, but just to understand what you are facing with. And then the next thing that God does is after Ezekiel looks at um, the state of affairs, after Ezekiel considers them, the next thing the Bible does is that God unveils a reality to Ezekiel. So if God only said, Ezekiel, look at these dry bones, they are very dry, that would be okay, but it's also going to be a bit funny because it's very tenant or it's very likely, or I was going to say the tendency is, but it's very likely then that Ezekiel might be demoralized or he might be overwhelmed by the size of the battle. But God didn't stop there. In chapter three, he said, and he said, son of this, um, and he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? That question was meant to really expose a reality that could happen to Ezekiel. So can these bones live was to open the eyes of Ezekiel to the understanding that yes, that which you have seen is very dry. Yet there's also a reality that exists in the spirit where these things that are dry, these things that are dead, these things which are absolutely devoid of life can therefore live again. You know, it's interesting in Paul chapter, in, in, in Ephesians chapter one, Paul was praying and Paul prayed a particular prayer. But Paul says that the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, that we will know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So before we prophesy, remember remaining that up until this point, Ezekiel has not prophesied anything. Yet God had already taken him to through different steps. So prophesying starts before we actually begin to make those declarations. The second step, after he takes the, um, the survey, after he looks at everything he was up against, was that God began to expose him to a reality in the spirit that there was life again, that these bones could live again, that the death of these bones, the dryness of these bones was not where things were going to end, that the understanding or the consciousness of Ezekiel must then be inspired towards reality, that there is life on the other side, that there is life at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's interesting because in this same, let's look at it, let's Look at it. I saw this earlier today too, and I was pretty, pretty stunned. The idea that before you prophesy, your prophecy must be based on an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, on a revelation of God. In Ezekiel chapter 13, it's a very pretty sobering chapter of the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 13, let me tell you, and I think if we can understand this, we would understand why um, prophecy or making or prophesying in general is very different from, say, positive confession, is very different from, you know, motivational talk, is different from self-help. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 13. Of all the things that God was going to call out among the group of prophets, let me show you what God called out. Ezekiel 13 from verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, who prophesy and say to those who um, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Now listen to verse three. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They made prophecies, they made declarations without seeing anything first. So before you prophesy, you may first see that which you want to prophesy. So we do not prophesy out of presumption. We do not prophesy out of that which we want to happen. We do not prophesy necessarily out of our conception of a future that is largely dependent on our own idea of what we want to see. We will first prophesy 
on that which is revealed by the Spirit of God. So whenever you come to a point where you want to declare specific things over your life, you must first pray that God, as Paul prayed in the scripture we read in Ephesians chapter 1, that God open the eyes of my understanding. Let me be enlightened, that I will know what lies on the other side of this. Open the eyes of my understanding that I may even know what to prophesy. Because you can prophesy amiss. You can prophesy the wrong things. So God must first awaken you, bringing you to a consciousness of a reality. Those things must be in place before the every the very moment where you even begin to declare anything in general. And the third thing that God began to do in Ezekiel chapter 37 was that he guided Ezekiel on that which to prophesy. Now, um, like I said, Ezekiel was in the spirit. And what was interesting is that each time Ezekiel was going to make any sort of declaration at all, Ezekiel would first say, I prophesied as I was commanded. I know, fortunately for me and you, we are very blessed in that. Unlike the prophet Ezekiel, you and I live in a days where we have um, the Bible to essentially guide us through, you know, what is the word of God? The word of God in the Bible reveals the heart, it reveals the intention of God, it reveals the mind, the will of God, right? But even with that, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to inspire portions of the scripture before we confess them. You know, it is absolutely very possible that we read the Bible because the Bible is ultimately um, still a book of literature. It is possible for us to read it from a very um, cerebral, very academic, very lovely, very intelligent way that misses the heart and the intention of God behind the scripture. You know, the Bible talks about how the letter kills and the spirit gives life. You know, it's kind of funny. So, for example, if you take an example saying, you know, that um, uh, make hay when the sun shines. Like, that's absolutely what that statement says. But it doesn't literally mean that every time the sun shines, you then, you then go and try and make hay. So that's the same way we and I can somehow cursory read the Bible without really ever understanding that which God intended when the Bible was written. So even when we prophesy the Bible, we need the help of God to awaken us to what the Bible says, the scriptures to use, and the heart of God when that scripture was written in particular. There's a very, very um, lovely portion of scripture yet again in the New Testament. I think it is First um, Corinthians chapter 12 or chapter two, first Corinthians chapter two. Let me open there in a second. First Corinthians chapter two. So um, the broader theme of that particular chapter was that Paul was talking about spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight. And he says something in verse 14. He says, but the natural man does not receive um, the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So it is possible because the Bible is also a work of a spiritual God. The Bible says that all scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Because of that, things are somewhat written in layers, and it is possible for us to miss those without the help of God himself. It is possible for us to read the Bible and miss key portions of scripture that pertain to our situation. In fact, the way it was taught, especially over the last decade or so, within you know, a lot of Christian ministries in general, was that we used to talk on how there is the written word and there is somewhat the inspired word. But the truth is that God reads upon scripture when we need to prophesy. It is the 
Holy Spirit that illuminates our understanding. The Bible talks very many places about how, you know, no man can set the things of God except the Spirit of God, how we need the Holy Spirit to delve into some of those deeper levels, how, for example, when we do things like we pray in the Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that it begins to search the Word of God to bring the relevant things to our understanding. Remember, the Bible says that um, the Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. All right, so there's so many instances where the Bible makes this idea that for us to really delve deeply into um, the Bible, for us to really understand what this thing represents, for us to understand what are the promises of God concerning my life, what scripture should I use concerning this particular situation, what um what 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 is God saying concerning this matter that we need to delve really deeply into the Bible, and it is then the Holy Spirit that holds our hand as we go in through that, and so all those things must be in, in in position before we prophesy deeply, and yet we still see instances in the Bible, especially within corporate times, where you have a group of believers who are together in one accord, yet they declare the Bible, yet they speak the Bible, yet they reveal the writings that were written. They wouldn't really you know. You know, they reviewed the promises that God had made, yet except the Holy Spirit was present, the Bible would record how the Holy Spirit would do things like get involved in their meetings, the Bible would record all these events, yet without the involvement of the Holy Spirit then, even though there were mature believers, even though there were people that were growing up in the word, they were not able to see any results until they had the help of the Holy Spirit reveal and unveil the scripture to them. So it's not a uh, it's not something you and I can really do in the flesh. It's not something you and I can do by ourselves. You and I can read the Bible very, very many times. You can read it many times over. And that is helpful. That has its place. But really, what God is calling us to do is not necessarily to take a very academic approach towards the Bible. And the fortunate thing about all of these things is that God is more willing to help us than we are to even just ask for ourselves. You know, one of the more different or one of the more unique understandings we must have about the Christian experience in general is that our level of yieldedness, our level of surrender, our level of meekness, the tenderness of heart through which we approach God will largely determine the experiences that we have with God. So God will never really operate within a space that is larger than what we're really need to give him. We have to use ourselves to yield to him and then to come unto him. That's why James said that if we lack wisdom, that let us not, um, that let us approach God and ask boldly so that God will, because judge will not, God will not judge us or God will not chastise us really for asking for wisdom because he would give to anyone who he asked. So really, if you and I are lacking in the word of God, if we don't really know what are the scriptures saying concerning this particular situation, what is the mind and the will of God concerning this particular situation, the Bible makes it clear that we can approach God boldly. And so before we first prophesy, we must first even ask that God, what scripture should I prophesy? You know, when I was growing up, I remember the church I was growing up in will teach us that before we make any prayer point at all. So in addition to prophesying, in addition to making declarations, before we approach God to intercede or to make demands on him concerning any aspect of our lives at all, that we must first obtain 10 different verses of the Bible that speak to that situation. I remember the first time I ever heard it, I remember being confused, being very, uh, it was a bit of a funny statement for me to ever hear anyone make. Like, what do you mean like 10 verses that approach any situation? I'm feeling a particular kind of way. I should be able to, based on my feelings, you know, it's you just, just go and pray and make statements and just go and, you know, say, God, I know this must be your will because surely why not? 
But really, it's also important that we do that because our understanding of God can sometimes be skewed by many things that are not really in the Bible. And so when we say things like you need the Bible to really um, determine what the man and the will of God is concerning the situation, it is because you and I may have understandings that is shaped by our experiences, we may have understanding that is shaped by the stories of other people, we may have understandings that is even shaped sometimes by well-intentioned things like, say, for example, Christian movies that are inspired by the word of God, but sometimes they may be dramatized. And then we may fail to really um, distinguish between that which is dramatized and that which is directly in, directly um, said in scripture. And so that then shapes our conception of God. So when we say that you need the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Bible, it is so that we make sure that we are not operating out of presumption, we are not operating out of any sort of assumption or any sort of um, misunderstanding as to where God stands concerning a matter. So that's that um, pertaining to what we need to do before we prophesy. So these are all the things that must be in place before you and I begin to prophesy. So in a second, we will turn over to, I think, Pimat, who will lead us in covenant proclamations. But before we do that, can we just pray very quickly that wherever you are, I would love for you to pray and say, Father, before we go into this moment of prophesying, before we make these declarations, Holy Spirit, reveal to me that which is your mind, that which is your will, and that which is your intentions. Open my eyes that I may understand that which I am up against. Open your mind that I may understand the scriptures you have set aside pertaining to my specific situation. And cause me with you. Please pray wherever you are for the next minute or two before we go. Open my eyes. Lord, we give you. Thank you for listening to this message. We love to stay in touch and to see you at one of our events. You can find out more about us on our website at prayer-huddle.com. Email us at feedback at prayer-huddle.com or on our Instagram at prayer underscore huddle.